1: Welcome back to the driver's meeting podcast presented by bet online. Make sure to head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code believe 50 that's B L E A V 50 to receive your first bonus. Remember that all the sports are getting back going such as NBA NHL and make sure to tune into the MLB world series that I believe starts tonight. So bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and it's where the game starts. So we'll start off right away with uh i guess the hot topic that has been being talked about the past few days because this sunday we had a, a rare occurrence usually only gonna happen a few times a year where we had the f1 race and the nascar cup race taking place at the same time and you know that draws a lot of people to make some comparisons and things like that and it's kind of a thing that we've talked about a lot before in the show, as far as like presentation and broadcasting. And now it's like really a thing that everyone's talking about. Cause they got to see it really happen uh, twice because the races were going on at the same time, kind of benefited a little bit. NASCAR had a little rain lightning delay for about 30 ish minutes that kind of pushed it back to where it wasn't, you know, the F1 race was able to finish uh, well before the NASCAR race was able to finish given they are a little bit shorter as well. But um, I just opening thoughts. I mean, uh, do you think all the comparisons are, are fair to make, you know, to the USGP, to, you know, the Hollywood Casino 400
0: at Kansas? No. <laughs> I mean, think about what you just said. You said it's the United States Grand Prix and it's versus the Hollywood Casino 400, okay. which literally... <laughs> it just by itself sounds like just the goofiest comparison you could possibly make. Right. So, but we naturally are competitive um, uh, just as sports fans. And our thing is the best. And uh, I've seen a lot of talk about like, well, you know, why can't somebody like both of these things? We can't as motorsports fans, we can absolutely do that. But I think the U S Grand Prix and formula one as a whole serves as a really good comparison for the direction that we have gone, both marketing our sport and kind of the procedure of putting on a race in a racetrack, what racetracks we're going to, how to generate hype, how things look on social media with their uh, stuff, interaction with the drivers, um, attendance. Uh, TV is is a role in this as well. The way the race is covered in formula one compared to how it's covered um, in NASCAR. I mean, all of these things provided really stark contrasts. And I felt like Jenna Fryer's piece who Jenna is works for USA today. And she's not afraid to just go at NASCAR at times, which like God bless her. Um, (laughs) There probably needs to be a little bit more of that. Uh, And she got a lot of flack for it from what I saw on Twitter. And I didn't think it was necessarily fair because she was just pointing out that the U S Grand Prix felt like a big event. And when you go decision by decision and how these things have been handled over the last few years, it's really hard to find uh, a lot of flaws with how formula one has done stuff here. Um, When you watch the formula one broadcast broadcast, They don't really dumb it down at all. Uh, They're talking about some pretty high-level stuff all the time. If you don't know what DRS is, that's your problem. Like, just you're coming along for the ride here. (laughs) You're going to figure it out. They're talking about short pitting and strategy and uh, intermediate tires versus, or whatever, you know, the white tires, the soft versus the medium versus the hard. And they just don't really spend a lot of time waiting on you. They're like, we, this race is going to be over in an hour and a half. And we, (laughs) we're not doing any infotainment in this and the, the pre-race ceremony, there's no pre-race. It's like, here we go. Cars are on the grid and they're going off for the formation lap. This is where we're at. This is the, and look at all the fans and they're hyped. So there's a pre-race show that's there for the people in attendance but actually, the broadcast is short, sweet, to the point. Let's go. Here's the race. No commercials. Our race is ton of fluff, ton of commercials. A lot of times you're like, "Ah, is everybody really, like, is this, what are the stakes right now? Now, in the playoffs, that's changed a little bit, and there's more on the line here um, on a given lap and in a given segment. Uh, but still, it does feel like there's a lot more dead periods in the race. Uh, so there's stuff to be learned here uh, and applied through Formula One and the ways that they've grown their sport. Obviously, Drive to Survive is is the elephant that's in the garage for all of us, right? I mean, Drive to Survive is a phenomenon hit show um, for Formula One. It has exploded the growth of Formula One or all around the world, not just in America. I think in America, it's had probably the most significant impact, I would say. A lot of the other countries, they were selling out these races every year, right? Like Spas sold out every year. Monaco, the, the French Grand Prix, uh, the Italian Grand Prix at Monza. But it does feel like there's more of a kind of a fever to it. Like there's there's a lot more kind of excitement and anticipation because I think everybody knows the teams so much better. They know the drivers so much better. They understand uh, why... George Russell uh, is so stoked about qualifying ninth, right? They they get it. So qualifying has purpose and how important that is, and it's so hard to pass in Formula One that it's like, hey, where you qualify really does matter. Uh, so there's a lot there's a lot different about their sport than ours, um, which is why people go well, Formula One has qualifying why does NASCAR NASCAR get back to qualifying? It's like, bro, you can go from 40th to 15th in like 10 laps in our sport. Like, what are you talking about? You can't do that in Formula One. That's why it's always going to matter more. You're not going to make qualifying matter as much in what we do. It's just not. So it's a little apples and oranges, but there definitely is some overlap here. And there are things to learn and there are things to critique. And I felt like a piece written by uh, Dustin Long was probably the most apt to this, where we start talking about the lack of promotion and uh, kind of engagement. And how do we get to this point with the at-track experience for the fans? And you really got to start pointing the fingers at the tracks who get the majority of overwhelmingly of the television revenue that comes into our sport. Dover Motorsports is a publicly traded company. They have to publish publicly their reports of income. And quarterly, they got $35 million from the television money. I believe this was not in a quarter. I think it might've been over the course of a year. They got like $35 million in television money. This is reported by Dustin Long, NBC Sports. If you guys want to click on the article, it's really good. Um, And in admissions revenue, they only made $5 million. So they're making seven times as much money from the television revenue as they are selling tickets. So selling tickets, how important is it really? And they found other ways to generate revenue. We're going to increase our spots of RV parking. We're going to, you know, upsell, we're going to increase the price on vendors like people go, oh my gosh, man, I used to go to a NASCAR race. They had hauler, merchandise haulers like crazy. Well, yeah, they weren't charging twenty dollars or $40,000 to park a merch trailer out in front of the, the track. Like Brad Kozlowski mentions that in the Dustin Long article where he goes, yeah, I don't have a merch trailer. We have a Penske merch trailer with all three of us to try to save money. He said, and even then, we don't really make any money from it. Kyle Larson has spoken about that when he goes to a dirt race, he can make 10, 15, $20,000 selling merch in a night. He goes out there, sells it, right. You know, signs, autographs, he can interact with the fans. He's like, where's the incentive for me to do that at a NASCAR race? Like y'all you've taken away all financial incentive. So I'm supposed to just show up and have my own merch trailer and lose money <laughs> because why? And that limits, uh, interaction from sponsors where this is obstruct I mean, to people that sponsor me where it's like, you're telling me for me to set up a display or something like that, it's going to cost more than I'm spending on sponsoring the car. (laughs) So all of this has been done by the tracks, weird tactics and promotions and really a different scale of where the money comes from. And look, there's probably people listening to this podcast right now, RJ, their eyes are rolling through the back of their heads about like, I don't give a shit how all these rich people make money. I just want the fan experience to be fun. And guess what? I'm with you. But you have to come to at least a level of understanding of why it is the way that it is now. It is a series of decisions made by NASCAR and these tracks. And here's the thing. If you're trying to turn a profit and your attendance is dipping, well, then what do you do? You go, uh, we got to find other ways to make a little more money, right? Let's raise the price. Oh, no, now you can't bring a cooler in here. We're going to charge for drinks. Uh, well, let's upsell the VIP pass and, and more infield parking spots. So now those infield parking spots used to be wider. Now we're going to skinny them up and we're going to try to sell more of them, right? Because we're, we're making money off that. And we're going to charge more for the merchandise stuff in the in the fan zone and we're gonna so we're gonna find a way to make this money from a different area and by doing that and by putting the squeeze on the people that are supporting the sport both as sponsors and as fans the experience gets a little worse <laughs> the money gets tighter they're not spending as much in promotion right because they're like uh ah, attendance is down i don't want to promote it as much and it's less and less and less and less. And then I hear somebody on the track side, and this is where I am going to be very pointed. And this, and I'm, I'm quoting Denny Hamlin here, where they basically were like, "Well, you know, the drivers don't do enough to promote the races." And Denny Hamlin was like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> and and I can talk now out of my own mouth and say, like, I don't even get invited by tracks to do promotions. Like they've nobody's from the tracks ever reached out to me to do anything. So I look at the Formula One weekend and how all that was set up with the big driver stage and they have everybody come out and the teams and the principals and there's like a fan zone and they all come out and do their thing and then they have the concerts and all this. It does feel like an event. It's a big event. And yeah, there's a lot to be learned from that, RJ, but, but really all of this and where it comes from is that these tracks... That host these grand prix spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on sanctions to bring a race to a track. It is incredibly expensive to the point that you always hear about Silverstone and tracks that maybe can't foot the bill and is it profitable for them to even do it and all this right. So this is big money, and with that, if they've paid the sanctioning fee. They, they're like, man, we got to put some butts in the seats. We are not going to make any money off this thing. We've got to really make this huge. So they find ways to turn it into just this massive, massive, massive event. And then when they get 380000 over the course of a weekend, well, now they've made money. So it's a model that involves the tracks primarily making money off of selling tickets which is a model that worked for a really long time. Now you have a model that's based off of tracks, not really needing to sell tickets to get their money. They already got their money. They get 65% of the television revenue. Plus they get to sell ads at the track, plus they get to sell tickets, plus they get to sell concessions, plus they get to sell hauler parking and all this other stuff. So they have a lot of different ways to make money and the ticket sales is part of it. But really, you kind of have a guaranteed income stream. I'll tell you what the tracks are right now, RJ. They're basically the government. The government knows that they have tax income coming in every single year, right? So if there was like another additional thing, it's like, eh, well, whatever. We already have this guaranteed revenue stream. <laughs> I like think it's already coming in. And that's kind of, it seems like a very laissez-faire attitude from the tracks about this stuff. And... Also, NASCAR, from a promotional standpoint, when they've really aimed a lot of the marketing towards drawing in new fans rather than kind of rewarding longtime fans, right? Because what do the longtime fans want? It's not really that hard. Let me speak for you guys that are listening to the pod. What do you want? You want to be able to go to a race, have it be affordable, have it be like a good time for your family to watch some good racing. And like, what else do we want? Be good coverage on TV you could probably list like a bunch of things. And really none of them are costing a lot of money to do. And so what I would say is like, well, if, you know, we're worried about selling tickets, like drop the ticket prices, like who gives a crap, right? Like if you're not even worried about selling that many tickets, I mean, I get it. If it's Daytona 500, it's a big race, whatever. But if it's not, who cares? You get these big arenas. You basically give the stinking tickets away at this point, And it's better optics. For the sport, it looks better for sponsors, for teams, for everybody. So, look, there's a lot of different things here. We could literally spend two hours on the podcast about optically, how did Formula One look compared to NASCAR? (laughs) It looked like they really kicked our butt. And then you looked at the TV numbers and you go, oh, well, NASCAR actually had doubled the amount of people watching it. Because in America, NASCAR is still the number one spectator motorsport. It's not even close. The Xfinity Series race had more people watching it than the Formula One race. So let's all calm down. Let's all look around and maybe look in the mirror and go, what can we do better? I think it starts with the tracks and promotions. I mean, that's where it, it has to start. They're the ones getting all the money. And guess what? Building a cactus... And like an area for everybody to sit in the infield at Phoenix for and spending $200 million on it. That's not the answer, right? That's not how we fix this. Having the crew on Netflix with Kevin James, that's not how we fix this when we're going up against great, interesting, dynamic content coming from Formula One. Of course, it's going to drive people to want to watch these races.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of factors as far as promotion and, and broadcasting and things like that, and I always look at, you know, it, uh, Nashville weekend this year. I felt like was, I feel like they really hit it with that weekend, you know, whether Definitely. it was having the full weekend, whether obviously NASCAR's taken or tried to take as as much advantage as they can as the new as the new weekends that they've had this year, like promoting them more, like way more than the others. I remember there was a certain point where we were looking like they were promoting Coda like three weeks before and like totally forgot Bristol there was dirt. like a Dover race in between that. Like they were right. like, remember in two weeks we have Coda and said, not a word about like Dover uh, in the middle of that. Right. They, were, they were going crazy on, on the new races. So, um, you know, which, which and is they were
0: successful. I yeah. mean, I would say RJ that they were, I mean, Coda was a success. Um, there was some hype around that Bristol dirt sold a lot of tickets. There was hype around it. Was it a shit show? Yeah, but you know what? We're going back. We're going to learn from it. We're doing it again. Okay, so God bless them. It's going to be, it is an event. It is something you're going to tune in and watch. I'll give them credit on that. Uh, You know, I I look at uh, the Nashville thing. That was a great point. That definitely hit. And the way it was done, getting country music stars involved, kind of making it an event in the area it was a hit and it's a place we should have been going for a while now. Right. And it was a great decision to go back. So yeah, these things happen over the course of over the year. I think all of those were positive changes. Like you guys know from listening to the pod, I was a anti-Bristol dirt. I I still kind of am, but if it's going to become a staple of the series, then it kind of, functions in the same way that the roval does for charlotte to kind of create two very different events at the same racetrack and i understand it from a promotion standpoint i I get it that's an example of good promotion is what i would say yeah a bad promotion and seeming kind of whatever about it it's like texas and in the piece uh jenna fryer i believe wrote. She talked about Denny Hamlin going and having a one-on-one or a two-on-one with Steve Phelps about specifically the Texas weekend, which they called pathetic and that something needed to be done. And Steve Phelps agreed. He said that that was really embarrassing. Like the number of people that turned out for that race, that it was extremely low and it wasn't looking good for the sport when we basically say, Hey, this is a playoff scenario and nobody cares, right? Like Trust me, you don't don't tempt me to pile onto Texas Motor Speedway here. <laughs> that's like the lowest hanging fruit there is. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, clearly NASCAR understands that new things need to be done. Now, my problem is that I think we're not really addressing the issue. We go, oh well, I know what we'll do. We'll run a street circuit. And it's like, well, that's not really fixing the problem, is it? right? That's just creating a new thing that will probably lose interest in a few years. They're like, ah, we need to go to Mexico city. I'm like, well, we already did that. And it didn't work over the course of time. Oh, we'll do a thing at LA Coliseum. It's like, okay. So we're, we're basically just, what are we going to be? Are we going to be in the traveling circus here where we just pop up with crazy new jumps and hurdles and stuff for like teams to not know what the hell's going on like that's weird it's like we have a lot of history great history in this sport with great racetracks i gotta get so cool they're testing the next gen car at bowman gray uh right now as we're recording this podcast that's really neat right that's really neat so finding a way to kind of like interact with the history of the sport while still moving the sport in a uh, a new direction from a technology standpoint, that to me is like the perfect place for this. Uh, but it seems like we're just looking at new venues, new places, new, whatever. And I don't know that that's really the way that we ought to be going yeah. with yeah. this. We, we, we got to address some different issues with how television broadcasts this, the times, the scheduling, uh, we could shorten the season by quite a bit, but, uh, There's a lot of different things that we could do, but it it involves probably NASCAR and the tracks being willing to take a little less money from the pie, the teams get a little more, it becomes a partnership rather than a really one-sided situation, which is what it is now.
1: Um, last year, it's hard to look at some of the numbers at the, at the beginning of last season, because of pandemic, we weren't filling the crowds, you know, TV numbers were obviously a little higher because more people weren't at the races, but I always look at the weekend last year at Indianapolis and the cup series race had 5 million viewers. The Xfinity race had 3 million, I believe two or 3 million IndyCar was right around the million. Um, and that whole weekend was obviously put together. Didn't even have, you know, well, we did have practice for the Xfinity series and practice for IndyCar, no practice for cup, but it was like a full Friday, Saturday, Sunday, weekend. You had Mike Tirico was there. Uh, I think Danica Patrick was at that one. Can't remember who was all up on the, the big uh, right. stage or whatever they were doing, but they really went crazy on promoting that whole weekend. And we can all agree that the brickyard 400 you know the cup cars on the oval is not like the greatest race in the entire world but i felt they took a race that obviously isn't going to perform super well And made it into a thing that people wanted to tune in for, because whether it was the history, whether they just enjoyed watching racing in Indianapolis, whether it was, I mean, it really was the cap off to what was a great weekend, a great Xfinity race on the road course, great IndyCar race as well. Cap it off with the cup series on the oval, the big prestigious event. And it did big things, you know, on, on the NBC network, big viewership. I mean, one of the biggest, you know, viewed races of the year that wasn't the Daytona 500. So I don't know if many other people noticed that I really did, and obviously we changed it to the you know the putting the cup on the road course this year, which pissed me off because I feel like that didn't make the Xfinity race as special as it was last year. Because people tuned in to that Xfinity race because they were like, "Whoa, we're gonna have NASCAR on the road course, and this is the only one." Like both races were different. This one's on the road course. This one's gonna be on the oval. So everybody tuned in for both. Whereas there's probably some you know casual viewers out there that maybe you know, didn't tune into the Xfinity race or even didn't even tune into cup race. Cause it wasn't on the oval and wasn't called the brickyard 400. I don't know, but I always look at that weekend as a weekend that was greatly promoted last year and did well. We mentioned Nashville, uh, road America. I thought was great. Uh, and you were there, you know, at those tracks this year, you've talked about it right after that weekend, like road America, even, you know, at the Indy road course, when you guys ran your race, how, how big the crowds were, um, especially on the road courses. So, you know, there's there's so many factors, like you mentioned, as far as TV promotion, track promotion, getting people to the track, the people that can't get to the track, getting those people to watch on TV and so, so many factors. And we just got to, we really got to find the best way to hit all of them.
0: You know how you make something on TV seem like a big deal? Wow. Have a lot of people there and have them really excited to be there. That's it. That's a college basketball game. That's a football game. That's a soccer match. That's anything. The crowd That's is up for a view. Like the crowd breathes life into a broadcast. And all of those things are based around the fan experience for the people that are tuned in at the venue. And it's like we now do weird start times And we do a lot of things really for television that kind of take away from the fan experience at the racetrack. That's not good. Like we got to get back to making that first and foremost, this is about the teams that are here. This is about the people that are here performing this event and TV gets the privilege of promoting it, which is right now, I feel like we're all kind of working for TV. And the thing is like the teams like, yeah, that's, that's a lot of money to us and it is kind of the lifeblood of my business is coming from that TV money. I mean, it makes up two thirds of my money is prize money that I'm getting from NASCAR in my yearly budget. But what if it it could be double that, right? I mean, it's still only that's 25%. We're getting a cut of 25% of it. Really in a true partnership, when we start looking at other leagues and how they do this in the NBA, it's 51 to the owners, 49 to the players, so, I mean, yeah, that's pretty skewed. Uh, and and that would allow, and everybody goes, well, Tommy, why are you complaining about getting money? This is why. So if all the teams made more money, the big teams, it really wouldn't change a whole lot about what they do. In fact, if anything, it would probably lower sponsorship costs for them. Maybe you would see more sponsors for a longer period of time instead of a one-race deal or a two-race deal. Maybe it would be longer sponsorships. So that would be good, more consistency on the cars and how they look with the drivers, with, with partners, but for small teams, it would allow us to primarily operate off the prize money. And, and especially when I have low overhead and you go, well, that's good for you, but what does that do for us? Here's what it does. When Ryan Newman's out of a ride, he will always have a ride. When Matt Benedetto is out of a ride, he will always have a ride. When the driver that you love is out of a ride because of sponsorship they're going to always find a home on a mid-level team or a low-level team that will be able to then pay them to drive the car because there will be enough income from it, right, just in participating. And that's what changes everything about our sport. When our sport becomes teams hire drivers because of talent, because this is a top-level motorsport, rather than teams are basically partnering with drivers that have funding that's a, completely diff- that's a completely different conversation, right? Now, if you have a sponsor, if you're a driver that has a million-dollar sponsorship and you're good, well, then you're even more valuable, right? So like if you were somebody like Dale Earnhardt Jr. that kind of went into free agency, that's like the double whammy, right? I'm getting a great driver and the best marketing thing in the world. Like, sure, I'll pay you whatever you want to get paid, right? Like, because I know how much it's going to do for my team. So that's still going to always exist in our sport where partners want to stay with the driver, But when I look at Formula One, to bring all this back around, how stark in contrast is it, the Formula One market for drivers, and George Russell being on the satellite team and everybody saying he needs to get promoted to the top team, and Valtteri Bottas having to find another team and all this, it feels like the teams are the ones that have all the power, and the drivers are just players that get moved around, or if they're not performing, they get cut, they're out and that is a pro sport what we have going on now is the teams are so desperate to just try to get back to even or breaking even with money that we're taking deals from drivers that aren't good they don't need to be performing on a national stage right and if the owners had more power that would prevent that from happening everybody that wants to complain about nascar All the short track racers are like, shoot, all you got to be in NASCAR is rich. Go out there and compete in NASCAR. You think that makes me feel good? Like I work my butt off, try to raise the money to come out here and do this, right? But at the same time, I understand that's what's allowing me to do it. My partners like A and Adjusters and Market Rebellion and my dad and Rodney that helped start Martin's Motorsports. And then we had to find more money coming in and Skyview and uh, Discover Denton and Diamond Gusset and all the people that we've got, Market Rebellion and everybody that's come on, over the course of years to keep this thing going that's who keeps it going right it's not tommy joe's doing a great job as a driver (laughs) like that's not it right so what you're trying to find is somebody that is good but also can bring money and that's hard it's so hard it's so hard to find those partnerships whereas if a team was already established maybe i could sell my sponsors and sit here and say hey man we've already got plenty of money look market rebellion you wanted to do uh five races next year. Well, actually now I can offer you 10 for the same amount of money because really we don't need the money. It's kind of like extra money for us. That's better branding. It's just, it, it's all around completely better for everybody. <laughs> and it changes the way this thing works. And I see that dynamic in Formula One and I'm so jealous of it. And not just because I'm a team owner over here or a driver. I believe that it will create the opportunities for talented people. Like they're still going to be pay to play in ARCA. Right, because it it won't pay enough money. But let that kind of be the litmus test for a driver, where the idea is like, if you kick ass in Formula Two or in Formula Three over there in Europe right now, and that's all pay to play, hundred percent. It's even a little pay to play in Formula One at times, but for the most part, the budgets are so crazy high, and it costs so much money that like no drivers bring in enough money to just balance the book over there, right? Like, and everybody makes fun of the people that do. Like, think about Lance Stroll. Like, Lance Stroll still gets made fun of. Now he's proven himself as clearly capable in an F1 car. And people still like, oh daddy's money out here. (laughs) People still openly make fun of him. The media makes fun of him. Whereas over in NASCAR, we don't talk about that ever. And the reason why is because everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. It's we're all so desperate for the money. And that completely changes everything, if we can get away from that, right? So this is a big, long spiel about the money and how all this is involved. But it's, how how does Formula One look cooler than us? It's not one thing. It's not one thing. It's a hundred things. And they're all decisions and things that have changed over the course of a long time. Like I said, it's something as simple as like, can I bring a cooler to the racetrack? Well, no, you're actually going to get charged for a beer, right? Well, then some people don't want to go, right? Because they don't want to spend $8 on a on a beer or $10 on a beer. And so some people don't show up. And some people go, ah, oh, I hate these stages. And so then they don't show up. And a few people go, ah, oh, they're overcharging for parking. And a few people don't show up. It's not one thing, right? Or they go, ah, oh, my favorite driver retired. Or, oh, you know, I don't like how many commercials are on TV. It's not one thing. It's everything that adds up over time and diehards like you and me, RJ are going to keep watching, Yeah, but those people are fewer and fewer. I think a realistic goal, because let's think about this. Let's go straight comparison. F1 to NASCAR, right? We're kind of dancing around it here. Yes. Formula one, when they go to a country RJ, they only got one race. We've got 30 friggin' eight. In the Cup Series, all right? So that's – you're not going to get the same level of hype. Strip that away, though. I think a really good model is like golf. People are going to go, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) What does NASCAR got to do with golf? First of all, I like playing golf, but that's not the comp that I'm making. Yeah, Golf will have one sponsor for a weekend for an event, right? For Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it is the FedEx Open or whatever the heck it is, right? And for our purposes, that could be the FedEx 150, the FedEx 200, the FedEx 250, or whatever it is, right? Okay, that's easy. You can kind of bundle that sponsorship in a way there. Makes sense for the tracks. But even more so like golf, and this is the real key here, is they have majors. Now, most people in the general public Do not talk about golf, right? But when it's a major championship weekend, that becomes a little more kind of part of the sports culture, right? Now, there might be other stuff going on that weekend, but definitely everybody pays attention to these majors. NASCAR has majors. We have majors. We have the Daytona 500. We have the Southern 500. We have the Coca-Cola 600 we have the nascar championship we have four majors and they're actually kind of naturally spread out over the course of the schedule like in traditional dates beginning may fall into the year great so we already have it i think it's up to us as a sport to recognize that the race at kansas speedway it's just not going to ever be the same level of hype as some of these other events now I think we can lean into that a little bit more and try to really generate a lot of buzz around these mega events for our cup series. Uh, And I think that's a good thing, right? You look at Bristol night race. It's a big deal. Talladega in the fall, big deal. Martinsville in the fall, big deal. It's hard to have 30 something big deals, (laughs) right? It's just hard. Uh, Like Dover, yeah, we race at Dover, but is that as important as the Coke 600? No, it's just not. But the the uh, PGA understands that the Travelers Championship isn't going to be the same level of hype as the Masters. It's just not. That doesn't mean that people won't still attend the Travelers Open. But the Masters is going to receive a level of hype and attention And media coverage that is going to be different and we need to really promote that rj i think that's what trickles into all this and if you think about it over the course of a year there can be those events that you're building to they spike and it kind of comes back down and it's the diehards watching week to week and then we spike and we get some more of those casual fans that we want to pay attention and if you give them a reason like hey man this is like the biggest race of the year this is one of the biggest races of the year they might tune into that right if they're a casual fan. But if you're just like, every race is the biggest deal, whatever, it's not, it's not, they're all not the biggest deal. (laughs) So from an event standpoint, promote it to racing fans and then use your big events to try to promote to a more broader audience. Yeah.
1: And when you watch a season, I mean, you could even relate this to, let's say TV shows, movies, you're watching it. You watch episode by episode and you want to watch the whole thing. So you understand the storyline. What I think is really made another big factor of what's made F1 great is the storyline of the season, right? It's been Hamilton versus Verstappen. There's been a lot other stuff going on throughout the field and, and kind of you had mentioned on Twitter as well, like, and I'm sure a lot of people have too, but you know what's going on throughout the field in F1, you know, everybody, I feel like every team, every driver that drives for those teams back at the field, whether they're running 16th or fourth, they have a story. And all of, you know, the people watching, most of the people watching know their story and that's why they tune in. I feel like I can't, I can't tune into an F1 race halfway through and know what's going on because of all the things that happened throughout the race. I feel like you have to watch from at least the, you know, the very start to the very end to really get a grasp on what happened in that race to where I feel like NASCAR, if you tune in stage two, stage three, you can get an update of where everybody's at, but you know, with all the cautions, everything like that, you just watch a restart and then you know, there's a new race, startup, up stage three. And one other point that I'd kind of thought of as well, you know, I, that I just mentioned how you kind of know the stories, the drivers throughout the F1 field. And this can be said for IndyCar too, because IndyCar has gotten Jimmy Johnson, Scott McLaughlin, all these other drivers from other professions. And they went crazy on promoting these drivers, right? Letting everybody know who they are. I mean, we know who Jimmy Johnson is, seven-time champion. You may, casual viewer may have not known what Scott McLaughlin has done other people, you know, that have raced in any car as well, but I made kind of a list of drivers at NASCAR, just a kind of a quick list, you know, a few in cup, most of them in Xfinity though, you have James Davison, Chris Wright, Jade Buford, Santino Ferrucci, Sage Karam, and Loris Hesemans, lots of more other drivers that go on that list as well. But I feel like drivers that have come over from so much other tough racing in the world And I feel like there's too many people that watch an NASCAR broadcast every week and don't know who those people are and don't know what they have done and haven't heard their stories. And I feel like their stories, you know, and we're not just, you know, this isn't even just talking about all the small teams back in the field and and cup or Xfinity or truck that, you know, would love obviously to be talked about every week, given their stories, but just the drivers that I feel like the series can benefit if their stories are told, because these are, talented drivers you got chris Wright coming over and doing all this stuff jade buford now you know and his team big machine racing stepping up another level next season santino ferrucci you know coming over minimizing his IndyCar schedule to run these xfinity races yeah. sage caram's hey, over job. here running a truck race this weekend at martinsville um yep. and then loris hesman's a euro series champion probably going to be the euro series champion again this year um and i feel like there's too many people that i see like who is this guy you know what is he doing out here uh, even if they're running 25th or 20th learning, you know, for a smaller team, I feel like those are just one of the stories that I feel like isn't mentioned as much that really should be
0: capitalized on. So let's, let's go and go back to an interview that we did uh, with Alan Beswick, right? Yeah. And Alan Beswick said, you know, the problem is we just don't have enough time in the broadcast to really dive into that to which we were like, hmm, okay, watch the form of the one race. They got half as much time as you, bud half as much time they still dive into it so it's really a decision that's made probably above alan bestwick's pay grade of who we're really going to focus on in this race and where the storylines are going to come from
1: it could be how the races go as well because i'm sure bestwick was talking about maybe how races went in 2012 2011 on espn nascar races back then
0: 1996 Mm -hmm. right where you had fewer commercial interruption and there was a lot of time right now. I mean, in fairness, yeah, they're doing a lot of commercial breaks during these races and it was watching them back to back in NASCAR compared to formula one. Hoof boy, was that a stark contrast, right? Where you had basically seamless uninterrupted coverage and it was over in an hour and a half compared to a three and a half hour ordeal that was interrupted about every, five minutes it felt like um not great <laughs> and that's tough right when, when you're dealing with an art you're like oh we need to get casual fans well who wants to watch that where it's broken up that much like that's just it's a tough ask. formula one restricted that because it actually crazy thing here helped the teams in the tracks because now when they sold at track sponsorship, for banners and signs and all that, it was like, yeah, this is kind of the only way you get on the broadcast guys is being on the car, on the teams, on the driver's suits, being a part of the team or doing at track banners, pit signs, whatever it is. Like that's kind of it. That's all you got. Yeah. So, or naming rights to the, to the, to the race. Right. So like in America, it was the Aramco United States Grand Prix or whatever it is. That was it. And by restricting the number of commercials, you actually increase the value of being a part of the event and the teams and all that. And right now, that has gone so far the other way towards television. I mean, look at the number of sponsors that have been a part of our sport that are no longer on a car, but run a commercial during a race. I mean, we'll use Coors Light, for example, right? Bailed out. They're like, we don't want to sponsor a car. We're just going to be the official beer of NASCAR <laughs> yeah. or uh nationwide. All right. We're going to sponsor Dale up. Uh, actually we're backing out, but now they'll still run a commercial here or there. And it's like, all right, Lowe's now yeah, we're not sponsoring a car, but we'll run a commercial home Depot target, like all these companies that you go, well they're, well, they're not on a car anymore, but they're sponsoring a commercial during the race. That's kind of weird. So where's that money going? Nobody's going to television and none of it is actually getting to the tracks or the people putting on the race in the race teams. More problems, right? Is this stuff that is, again, it's not one thing. It's not one thing, but it's the TV contract, at least to the people that are paying it, they feel like, man, we're probably overpaying right now. At least, they, at least it seems like that way, right? Because they're basically kind of come up with more commercial breaks, more ways to sell ads, uh, in-car sponsorships cost money, right? We're, we're riding along with the, whatever, the the Bush Beer onboard cam. Guess what? Bush Beer pays for it. So these are more ways for the TV networks to get some of that money back for the, the fees that they're paying to have the race on NBC or Fox, right? So... Um, All that's tied into it. Like all of that kind of rolls together. It doesn't feel like it does, but when you're watching the race and you go, Oh my God, it's too many commercials. Well, why is that? It's because the networks are trying to recoup the money that they're paying by now kind of saturating with that. And then they're like, Oh, well, fans still tune in. So we're just going to keep doing it.
1: (laughs) Yep. Exactly. Um, and we'll switch gears here real quick to the Xfinity Series for Martinsville this weekend. Kind of, kind of just transitioning from what we were just talking about. All the all the small teams, the big stories, the playoff stories. Um, obviously, the Xfinity Series this week was, um, I guess you could say, the premier series since it was on NBC, and the Cup Series was on <laughs> NBCSN. So uh, the Xfinity Series will be Saturday night race at Martinsville, and it's been a playoffs where we have had one driver. In the playoffs, win a playoff race, and that was AJ Allmendinger at guess where Charlotte Roval. Everything else has been won by either Josh Berry, Brandon Brown, John Hunter Nemechek, or Ty Gibbs, who are all not in the playoffs. um Fifty-four car has won the past two races in the Xfinity Series, and Ty Gibbs will be running again this week. Uh, some kind of cool stories throughout the field. You have Preston Partis running his first NASCAR oval. This weekend at Martinsville, he'll be in the number 90. Ryan Ellis, who ran the cup race last weekend, uh, is going to be in the 99 for B.J. McLeod. He'll be running that race uh, throughout the field. You got J.J. Yaley in the Bobby Daughter, 17, Colin Garrett, in the 26, Josh Berry defending his race win. This time in the Jordan Anderson number 31, which I think is a real cool move for obviously Jordan Anderson racing. They've had great drivers throughout the season. Josh Berry kind of gets the feeling that he's going back to defend his crown as, as the right. most recent Xfinity Series Martinsville winner. Going to be probably a little bit harder this time, especially with playoff drivers going at it. Because you're going to have a lot of playoff drivers going at it because um, you got Austin Sindrick, AJ Almendinger pretty solid cushion going into this race for sure. They're both 47 up. And then you have all guy Hemrick, both about plus seven plus nine. And then Haley right in striking range. Uh, But really the guys who are probably going to go out there and with the mentality that they're going to have to win are Noah Gregson, Brandon Jones and Harrison Burton, uh, which is, you know, unfortunate, fortunate wreck there at the end of Kansas for both Gregson and Burton, who were running very well. We're having a great battle on the racetrack with Sam Mayer, three wide didn't work out. And now both of them pretty much probably going to have to go out and win Martinsville. Brandon Jones has kind of just been lingering around the whole season. Um, maybe could make something happen at Martinsville, but I imagine it's going to be very chaotic race and your bumpers not going to look the same uh, at the end of the race than when you started.
0: Definitely. And there's guys that need to use that bumper more than some other guys. Right. So that kind of yeah. always leads to uh, a lot of action. Uh, Martinsville, especially fall Martinsville uh there's just a lot of people looking around in the garage area that are real sick and tired of each other's shit around this time of year uh where it's like you know i've been racing this guy all year and he never cuts me a break and now i'm racing him again and he chopped me again and i'm hitting him yep. uh, because it's a place where you can do that and not kill your car so um there's a lot there's a lot to race for in the xfinity series field there's a lot of like Jibs and jabs, kind of back between different drivers. I mean, I can say I've kind of gotten into some some uh, spats here lately with with a few different guys. And you know, I think about what we had going with David Starr there for a few weeks, right? And it's like, now is he going to hit me? Yeah, yeah, he might. Yeah, he might hit me. Uh, you know, we, we go to these places, we think about those things, right? Where yeah. you look around at a field of thirty nine other drivers, like Noah Gragson flipped me off because I didn't give him the top last week at Kansas when he was running. Yeah, we're in the second stage, man. I'm trying to like race with a lucky dog here. The car in front of me is like seven car lengths in front. I'm trying to catch him. Like, no, I'm not giving you the preferred groove when you're running fourth, like whatever. But does Noah, if he gets to my bumper at some point, just jack me up just because he's like, I'm I'm sick of this 44. Yeah. Like all of those things are things you think about when you go to these places, there's people I want to hit. I mean, I want to hit Kyle Weatherman. I feel like he's hit me basically like seven times this year and run into me. Um, and did it again at Kansas, Bailey Curry ran into me at Kansas, the 26 car ran into me at Kansas. So, I mean, there's definitely people I want to hit too. And it's not that I don't like them. Like I like them just fine, but it's about kind of how you've been raced over the course of the year. And I think there's a lot of guys front, middle, back of the field that get into these races, especially, um, for somebody that might, they might not get to race every week, right? Like Ryan Ellis is coming in there and like, he'll find himself in the middle of just an absolute firestorm around a bunch of people, because it's, there's a lot of tempers that fly pretty quickly at Martinsville and especially with this much on the line.
1: Yeah. There's going to be a lot on the line and I know the owner's points battle. We could talk about top 20 because you're there. You're 20th. You're right there. You got the 23 car behind you. Uh, Just about, it yeah, looks like about three points behind you. Uh, Alex LeBay's DGM 36, about right in that 20 point range of you, both of you guys. The Sam Hunt cars falling a little bit back. So it might look like it's going to be uh, maybe three, four, five horse battle for that three top horse race.
0: Spot. You know, yeah. really that that top 20 uh, in the owner's points comes down to the 44 the 23 uh the 92 and the 36 really uh, yeah. it's it's four cars for two spots and josh williams is about 15 points ahead of me right now i think yeah 17 maybe yeah it looks like 15 looks 17 about yeah something. 17 okay so really you look at that it's one spot on track uh, you got to beat about 17 positions in two weeks to jump him he's got a pretty good lead um, they got to be feeling pretty good over there on that 92 car uh, with two good runs, but yeah, it's, it's four positions for, or four cars for two spots. Um, and then over there in the driver point side, it's the same thing. It's me and Alex LeBay and Josh Williams. And then lurking back there is Brett Moffitt coming off a sixth place run um, this weekend at Kansas and and really gave himself a shot an outside shot, but a shot. He's still 37 points back of me. I think he's 20 back of Alex. Yeah. Um, so he'd give himself a shot at maybe getting into the driver money there at the end of the year in the top 20, which would be a heck of a thing because he didn't even qualify for Xfinity points uh, there for later. So, um, yeah, that's that's an interesting battle there in the driver standings. Um, but the way I look at it, those are the people that I'm racing, Right. Uh, You got four drivers for three spots and you got four team owners uh, for two spots. And and we find ourselves in the middle of that. That's something we wanted to be a part of all year is is trying to stay in that top 20. And now with two races to go uh, a lot of mistakes. I mean, you look back in these moments and you go, Oh my God, we blew up three motors and we got wrecked this many times. And we had a failures and all this kind of stuff. And you you just get frustrated because you go, Man, I ought to be 70 points clear of this and not even thinking about it. Um, but here we are. We're in this position and we gotta go, we gotta go try to get the money.
1: Yep. There's so many, so many different battles throughout the field, like we talk about. And we know who's gonna be in the 92, we know who's gonna be in the ninety in the 36. We know you're racing Josh Williams, you know, you're racing Alex LeBay. 23 cars been a rotating seat all year. I think this week is Natalie, Natalie Decker, Decker, I believe. Natalie Decker yeah. will be in the 23 this week, and then we'll see who they got for Phoenix. Not sure yet. Um, but overall, very cool. We can kind of wrap up here with the Cup Series playoffs because this is it. This is Martinsville. We saw how crazy it was last year. Um,
0: going to be crazier uh, this year.
1: I'm just waiting for – Kyle Larson to somehow not win the championship. Um, hate to, hate to be the, the Debbie Downer, but I'm just, ah, I'm waiting for it. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but we got Chase Elliott up there with a good buffer plus 34, Denny Hamlin plus 32. We kind of assume that it would be those three for sure in the final four. And that last spot's kind of the mystery. Kyle Busch who had a crazy day at Kansas still finds himself plus one over the cut, but you know, that's not safe going into Martinsville. Ryan Blaney's behind by one. He's been strong at Martinsville in the past. Truex back three. He's been strong at Martinsville. Kozlowski behind by six. Somehow, I have no idea how Brad Kozlowski is six points out of being in the championship four spot, but it happened. Crazy. And, and Joey Logano, the guy that we talked about that you kind of mentioned first, the guy that is usually able to just sneak his way into the final four had something that really wasn't his out of his control. First blown yeah. motor in the 22 since 2014 happened at Texas. And that's what yeah. really set them back. And now 26 back going into Martinsville, but he could totally win Martinsville and get himself a final four spot again. 100%. Anybody. 100%. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I, the way I look at this, it's all up in the air. I mean, you look at chase, you look at Denny and you go, all right, probably in right i mean it would take something really weird they would almost have to get wrecked really early and not get any stage points not get you know a good finishing position uh, for it to swing 30 something points back the other way that's what it's going to take uh, but they're not completely safe i think once they get past stage two if both of them are able to run and run inside the top 10, which they're both perfectly capable of doing there. I mean, Denny's won at Martinsville. Chase uh, had a lot of success there, too. It's just I don't see them struggling there. Uh, I think once they get past stage two, they're going to be fine. So it's really about that battle for that final spot. And it's everybody. I would say all five of the others all stand a chance. Now, yeah, Joey's in a must-win, but – boy, it is anybody's game because of stage points. Stage points are what is making this exciting. And that's why you can't predict it. So as much as we want to bitch about stage points and say the stages or whatever, yeah, I get it. But in this moment, it does create a situation where the first two stages of that race are really important to for those guys because they know... The difference in them getting those stage points is going to wind up being, okay, now what do I have to do to get in? What happens in those first two stages sets the dramatic run to the finish. Who's going to make that final uh, playoff spot in home in, uh, in Phoenix? I almost yeah, said Homestead, Phoenix. Yeah. Phoenix, <laughs> I I'm reminding myself. <laughs>
1: There's there's really only two factors, I guess, that could affect either Chase Elliott or Denny Hamlin. And that's, you know, probably getting caught up in an early wreck, not getting stage points, maybe a penalty keeps him out of stage points. Or number two, a Stuart Haas racing car. Cause I guess both of them are just beefing with Stuart Haas race and Denny Hamlin's exchanging words with Chase Briscoe. And obviously, we know the whole story on Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick. But and like you said, Martinsville, Martinsville gets wild. Tempers start flaring, and you see a guy in front of you you want to hit, and you probably end up hitting him. So may not be totally wrecking the guy, but giving them a little, a little bump and jiggle, as they say, giving them the crumb. Oh, heart. yeah, so, a little bump
0: and run. A little and, quiz. And all those guys are, are going to be in a position, RJ, where if they're faster than somebody else, they, they're kind of in a must-go move because every single point matters so much to them. I mean, I believe it's what, – what would you say? It was basically like eight points separating like four of them, yep. right? Four to um,
1: seven seed separated by seven.
0: Yeah, so – uh every spot on the track all race is going to matter so much to those guys and uh you know joey actually in a way has a lot of freedom here because he looks at that and goes there's no way i can point my way in yeah so that's going to let him short pit the stages like he's just going to punt on all the stage points right he's just going to try to get track position So he'll short pit stages, he'll do weird strategies, because all he's going to care about is trying to win. That's all he cares about. So in a way, that's kind of a freedom that makes him even more dangerous, because you know that he's capable of going up there and getting it done. Mm -hmm.
1: And you know these non-playoff drivers aren't afraid to back down. We've seen guys like Kevin Harvick. It's really been, yeah, Kevin Harvick, William Byron, and Tyler Reddick that have been up there, hunting for you know whether it's the race lead top three and they've they have not been backing it down for making it three wide all three of them byron reddick's making crazy moves kevin hartwick you know is obviously not going to back down so um anybody can play a factor in martinsville and that's why the playoffs are so unpredictable because your race could be ruined by someone that's not even contending for a championship so that is what's so unpredictable about these things but we'll end with kind of a, a quiz here we'll look at the four we can look at the five. We can count Kyle Busch in this category. If you were to take these five drivers who are kind of on the bubble, Kyle Busch, Ryan Blaney, Martin Truex, Brad Kozlowski, and Joey Logano, if one of them advance, which one of them out of those five do you think would have the best chance to go into Phoenix and win the
0: title? Oof. So I got Truex, Kozlowski, I got Logano, Logano
1: Blaney, and, Blaney
0: Kyle Busch. and Kyle Busch like it's hard for me to ever say no against Kyle Bush, um, who at times this year has sounded like he absolutely hated every single thing about his car, his team, his place in life. Um, and yet he'll be running third. So uh, I I just think I'm going to take Kyle Bush, a two-time champion. Um, I'm probably going to take him uh, over the others, um, as a, as a factor, because you can just never, ever write him out. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to bet on on KFB.
1: Yeah, we're talking about a guy in the last two weeks that has slammed the wall at least three times, twice at Kansas, uh, gave out Steve O'Donnell's email during the race at Texas because he hated it so much. And he's still one above the cut and could have a chance to fight for a title at Phoenix. I would go with probably Martin Truex Jr., just because of the next two tracks we have here. And I I just kind of, you know, they haven't been as strong lately, but I look back at, at the beginning of the season where I really thought they were going to be, and they were the championship favorite going out and winning Phoenix, dominating Darlington. You think, okay, well, we're going to Phoenix for the finale. You got Martinsville in the final round, which, you know, Truex has done well at many times before. I think they could get it done uh, in, in a championship scenario at Phoenix. They've done it before, but You know, those, those three guys above all of these five guys are going to be, you know, the real, the real contenders here. And it's all about playing a safe race. We know Kyle Larson's locked into the next round, but as you mentioned, as we kind of started talking about this, it's really Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, um, try to just be cautious and make sure to get the stage points. They'll be starting near the front and they know how to get around Martinsville. So I would trust both of them for sure in this scenario to maybe even be able to lock each other you know lock themselves in before the race you know even finishes
0: yeah and they're in a vulnerable place right but that clearly didn't stop chase Elliott from banging off the wall three times in the last 10 laps right where where junior was talking about it on the broadcast and went look you got to pull the reins back here you can't get to them you've made a mistake don't give up this huge lead that we've got but it seems like all these guys just have the same mentality, which is go get as much as you can possibly get every possible second of the race. So you don't really want to dial that back out of them, right? I mean, you're trying to keep them hungry and fighting for a championship. And at the same time, yeah, you're going into a spot where you know you're vulnerable. Uh, You're on defense a little bit there at the beginning of the race. And then you can kind of attack at the end, hopefully with, without a care in the world, knowing that you're locked in, um, and that's it. I, I mean, that's the competition meeting. I'm assuming it's going on at both of those places telling them like, look, man, go get me five stage points in each one of these. Like, don't freak out. Just go run a good couple of stages here. We're going to lock our way into, into, into Phoenix. And then I almost did it again, but I said Phoenix, <laughs> we're going to lock our way into Phoenix. And then you're not going to have to worry about this anymore. And we'll just go try to win a race from that point yeah. forward.
1: So, I actually totally forgot. I'm not even kidding there. There's a truck race this weekend. Uh, it's on Saturday at one o'clock. Um, a lot of people have kind of brought up the fact that, like, the truck series having for what seems like a 20 year break between races. And now it's like all of a sudden, oh, the Final Four cutoff race is this weekend at Martinsville after our last race was a month ago at Talladega, won by Tate Boulder. Really weird sequence of events here for the truck series. The winner before that was Christian Eckes Vegas that race so um very interesting but yeah we can kind of touch on the truck series a little bit here sheldon creed is kind of was considered championship favorite he's plus five uh we know john Hunter checks probably the favorite to win the title he went during this off time and won an xfinity race at texas so that's probably a good morale boost for him but i expect a lot of chaos for all series this weekend i almost forgot it was a double header for xfinity and trucks so xfinity Our truck's supposed to be taking place at one o'clock on Saturday and then the Xfinity series at six, probably ending under the lights, which I think is very fitting. And then the cup race on Sunday. So lots of final four championship implications. We can make our championship four picks next week. And I'm sure you're excited about strapping into the number 44 car for the second to last time in 2021.
0: Yeah, uh, obviously a lot to to race for for us, and uh, that we know this kind of sets the table for what we're going to need to do at Phoenix. So had a lot of speed in the spring race there. We're able to get some stage points in the spring race. Um, need that same type of performance here uh, again from the 44 car. So um, this is all about setting the table for Phoenix. Uh, this is about kind of kind of finishing off the year on a on a strong note, and uh, obviously only two races left in the history of Martins Motorsports, which, which means a lot to me. We're going to Martinsville, um, which is a track that I've always cared about at first when I was a little kid just because it had my name on it. Um, but now, a- as a veteran racer, is a place that I look forward to going and racing. And and uh, running well there still carries a lot of weight uh, from competitors uh, around in our series. It's, it's a real special place. And uh, that fall Martinsville race really just feels like it always has so much so much stakes to it so uh, we're yeah. looking forward to getting up there this weekend
1: yeah and for the cup series it's we already had the last uh gen 6 race on the mile and a half with the with that package and now two 750 races to end the season for the gen 6 era this is going to be it martinsville and and phoenix and then we kind of transition to the next gen car which is really i mean we've started making that transition a while ago it felt like but we do still have to finish out this 2021 season, hopefully on a good note, as they're testing that next gen car right now at Bowman Gray. And I was kind of reading a little bit of what because they released the quotes of what Tony Stewart had said. So I was like, oh boy, (laughs) get ready to read those. But they were actually positive. So very, very good. Tony Stewart had a good test, good, good year tire test. And then Dale Jr. and Clint Boyer will take some stuff to the booth. Get the old
0: guys out. Yeah. Get them them out on Bowman
1: Gray, which is really cool. Bowman Gray. I mean, that's kind of what the layout they're looking for to except they're going to run it in the LA Coliseum and not not Bowman Gray but Which, <laughs> we'll see how that goes next season but man Martinsville this weekend did they say the hot dog stand was going back up did hot dog stand
0: again? confirmed going to be open at Martinsville yeah. this weekend uh, right. as everybody on the uh, the pit selection committee that <laughs> we the group call that we did before this podcast everybody was very excited to hear <laughs>
1: awesome Awesome! i can't wait so yeah two great races on saturday and then the cup race on sunday and we'll know who the championship four is for all three series uh, on the next show so thank you all for tuning in thanks for bet online we'll see you all next week
0: thank you for listening to believe